Thank you, Rodney, and uh, thank you all for being here. Um, I am um, very happy to be able to talk a little bit about property management. Before I do, I do want to read the disclaimer real quick. Um, like I said, I am a realtor. I am a licensed CPA. I no longer practice uh, accounting. I just keep my license active. And uh, tonight's presentation should not be interpreted as legal tax or accounting advice. This presentation is for information purposes only. Contact your attorney, CPA, or business advisor for, for advice about your real estate business and related transactions. And uh, so now that we got that out of the way, I wanna briefly go over our objectives. And if you have any questions at all, uh, write them down, put them in the chat box. Um, there'll be some time at the end for, for me to answer those. And just to kind of give you a highlight of what I'm gonna try to do this evening is we're, we're taking the buy and hold um, process from the management part on. So we're not really gonna go much into um, you know, acquisition, that sort of thing, but that doesn't mean that those things aren't very important. Uh, it's very important for you to use tools like Real Estate IQ to find your deals. It's very important for you to, whenever you're acquiring your properties, to look at it. If, you, if you're gonna use it as a buy and hold or if you're gonna take a fix and flip it that maybe didn't work out and turn it into a buy and hold, it's important to really make sure you're doing your due diligence. Uh, because if you get a property out there and you don't do those things, it's kind of like buying a business that you overpay for. You're constantly going to try to make money off of it and it's going to be difficult. And it's just a lot easier. You have a lot more room for unforeseen things to happen when you buy at the right price. So that that is absolutely essential that you do that. So once you do that, that's when you'll make a decision on how you're going to go with management. And that's mostly what I'm going to talk about this evening. So our objectives are going to be to, to um, define property management, including its components. We want to understand the listing process, which is very important. We want to examine the importance of risks with tenant screening. And tenant screening is, is a critical point. Um, we're going to learn the critical areas of the residential lease, and this is if you're managing for yourself, if you're using a manager, I encourage everybody to know at least a little bit about the lease. Uh, we're going to talk about common landlord pitfalls that occur once tenants occupy a property. What are some of the things that, that we're seeing? You've probably seen some things yourself, and the, the goal there is try to avoid those things the best we can. And then finally, we're going to list the financial benefits of good property management, and when we talk about that a little bit, I'm going to tell you how, if I were to advise someone that was looking into property management, some of the questions and some of the things that we that, that I would ask. And we'll also talk about some of the different providers because there are differences in what property managers do or what they offer. Um, so the first thing to get started is um, what is property management besides collecting a check? And I go around to a lot of real estate offices and lunch and learns and things like that. And I, and I asked this question and I asked the realtors to list what, what they think property management is. Collecting the check is something everybody always gets. That's like the very first thing. And that's no small feat sometimes. I mean, there's, there's a big part of that is collecting the check. But if you go into doing property management or looking for a property manager and you think that's all it is, or if that's all you want, you might want to look a little further into some of the other things that are involved. So um, I'm just going to go through the list and then we'll touch upon each one of these things later on. Um, maintaining the physical condition of the property in order to increase value. 
or in some cases retain value. Obviously the market's gonna drive the value, but if you have a property and it's not being taken care of, it doesn't matter as much what the market does if you're having to pick up the damages and the problems with it. So we're trying to keep the home in, in good condition and uh, minimize wear and tear and do what we can on that. Uh, completely and timely enforcement of the lease in order to reduce risk to the property owner and the property. When you're buying property management, you're also in a way you're mitigating risk. You're shifting some of your risk onto the property manager to do things. And if they do things right, it should make things less risky for you. This is in terms of liability, in terms of what needs to be done, but it's very important that that lease comes in and that's what we're gonna talk about here in a little bit. Um, a lot of things people don't think of is compliance with local, state, and federal regulations, HOA, city, IRS. Uh, you know, if you pay a vendor over a certain amount of money, you have to file a 1099. Your property manager, if they're doing that vendor or procuring that vendor, they should be doing that for you. And so there's a lot of things, depending on where you are, where compliance really comes into effect. HOA, if you have a tenant that's doing something that's causing problems for the HOA, that's the property manager's job to, to take care of that. Uh, depending on your property manager and on what you want, sometimes they also make the payments to the HOA. But at the very least, they should be handling any issues that, that arise. Um, accurate accounting and reporting in order to help with planning and decision making. So when we talked about how important it is to look at when you buy a property, you're going to come in that life cycle of investment where you're going to hopefully have more than one property and you're going to start looking at your portfolio. You're going to look at the ones that are performing and the ones that aren't. Um, you use this information, this accounting information to make decisions. Uh, you know, you're, maybe you'll do a budget for next year and you know that house is going to need a, a roof for, in the next two or three years. That information not only helps you, but it also helps your tax preparer. So you get all those deductions that you should get as a property owner. And in a lot of cases, property management is deductible. And so that you really want to have that information and you want it to be up to date. Um, you want a, a, a property management company that has um, financials that's not just giving you Excel spreadsheets. Um, another important thing that I think is one of the most often missed that we'll touch on later also is negotiating lease extensions, facilitating move outs, and managing deposits. With that first part, I think being the most important, negotiating lease extensions. And then finally, you sometimes just have to communicate. I mean, that seems like a no-brainer and it seems like it's something that's not all that important, but sometimes that's absolutely vital to the process. And remember, those are the things that we're, we're trying to do and what we're trying to accomplish. And so the first facet of the business is, is the listing process. So for those of you that are new to property management or buy and hold, uh, property managers are licensed realtors or they're supposed to be as I am, and they absolutely can list your property for rent. Some also work on, on buying and selling homes. I personally do not buy or sell homes. I focus only on rentals. However, we can list, I list on the MLS just like any other realtor does that buys or sells houses, only I put it on there to where it's a rental. So really there's kind of two services that you get and you know they can be split up. I know some people have a realtor they really like working with, but the realtor doesn't do property management. In that case, it's good to kind of pull your property manager in with the realtor you want to use, or if you want to use the same person to do your listing and your property management, there's good things with that too, because the property manager is the one who's going to be managing that individual, and they have a little more skin in the game when it comes to screening them, because if it doesn't turn out to be a good tenant, it's also going to be their issue also. Um, just so you know, but that's 
the listing process is very important no matter who you're using for that listing process. And I think one of the first things that you should do, and this goes back even to when we talked about acquiring a property, if we know for sure we wanna use it as a rental property, is getting a good market estimate for what the rent is gonna be for that property. And you may do that early, markets change, but usually if you do that at the process when you're doing your planning, it's important so you can start putting numbers in and you can start looking at what your potential cash flow is. Because a lot of times you know, you'll hear with buy and hold investors that a lot of it's about appreciation and value, and it is. Um, cash flow may not be a lot on your first couple properties. It may be very little throughout, but I'm of the opinion that you also don't want to be cash poor waiting on appreciation later on. So in order to make that decision on, is this going to be a rental? Is this going to be a flip? All those things get with somebody that can give you a good estimate on what the rental price is going to be. And I'll share with you a little bit on how I do that. So what I do is I go in and I use the MLS because I have access as a realtor and I'll pick an area and I'll do a, I'll do a, a CMA on that area and I'll look at that property and I'll look at something depending on the neighborhood within a half a mile or a mile and I'll go back 180 days. And I'm also going to look at similar square footage similar um, school districts, if that's a, a thing. If I'm in the city, I might draw a narrower, you can actually draw in there too, inside the MLS when you're pulling that. And you're basically gonna look at all your data for the last 180 days, that's what I use. You can go back further if you want. I think 180 is about as far back as I'd wanna go. And with COVID, I've actually started going only back to 90 on some. And so what you're gonna look at is you're gonna see all the homes and what I would present to someone and I'm also going to see their MLS listings. So some of the same things you can do on Real Estate IQ with, with properties is go in there and see what they look like in the area. So I do that when I'm doing my analysis. So I may have a customer that hasn't shown me their property yet, but I can at least grade all the other ones. And then what I'm going to do is I'm going to look at the average and median price per square foot. I'm going to look at the average and median overall price. And something that a lot of people forget, I'm going to look at average and median days on market. And the reason that is important is a lot of times if someone tells you you can rent your home for $1,500 a month and you thought you were only going to get $1,350, you're ecstatic with that number because maybe that's what the averages were. But on the flip side of that, the other number you need to ask for is average days on market. So what if everything in that neighborhood was, was overpriced at that time and everything sat there for 90 days? You don't want your rental sitting there for 90 days. So that other piece of the puzzle, that days on market, kind of lets you know when you're getting the range, kind of, you know, it, it's supply and demand. And, and the market is, people know the market, they're gonna look at it. If you're at the higher end, you may wait a little while longer. That's fine if you can afford to do that. Um, if you go a little lower on the price, sometimes you can get more people in, more tenants, more potentially qualified tenants, and you might limit the, the time on market, but you kind of have to know what that band is. And it's something that you have to look at, you know, quite frequently. I give an update every week to my clients. We look at who rolled off that analysis and who rolled back on, and then we make decisions. If we have it out there for a couple weeks, we're not getting any phone calls, we may need to bring the price down. But it's also very seasonal. So right now the market, it's, it's the time of year where rentals move. Um, November, that's a little bit tougher time to do, do rentals, so you may wait a little longer. It just kind of, it, it's a little bit of an art and a little bit of a science, but I would say that you have to kind of keep an eye on it. Um, MLS is necessary, but isn't the only place to list. I will say we get most of our business off the MLS. 
but I probably get a, a, a third or probably a quarter off Zillow and other places too. I mean, you'd be surprised where some of the lists come in, but I think, um, you know, I would always try to say, I, I think the MLS is important, at least here in the Houston area. I know some people from different areas might be a little bit different, but um, speaking for our market, that, that's what I've had the most success with. Um, good photos are very important. Um, one of the things I see when I'm looking at, and I'm doing my comparables uh, on, a, on a property and I was looking at one today, is I see a lot of people with rental properties, they'll take pictures with curtains closed, or they'll have dirty carpet, or it'll be dark. Those are all things that are not very aesthetically pleasing. I mean, when I'm rating those properties, when I'm doing my, comp my comparables, I'm giving them bad marks because it just doesn't look good. And if it doesn't look good to me, then it's probably not gonna look good to someone who may or may not wanna come out and see it. So I think, you know, there, there's some things that you can do with the photography. I'm not talking full-blown staging or anything like that, but sometimes just taking, taking a camera shot from a higher angle from a ladder, you know, with the light at your back, there's just some things that you can do. And my personal pet peeve is dirty carpet. If you have dirty carpet, get the stains clean, um, you know, do, do those kind of things. Weekly review, we kind of talked a little bit about that. Um, I mentioned that that's important. If, you, if you're using a provider and you haven't heard from them and it's been sitting there for, you haven't heard from them in 21 days and, and you don't know anything that's going on, then, then you need to ring them and, and find out what is going on. Because I'll tell you this too, uh, listing a rental property is a sales job. It's just like if you were to give me a call and you wanted to use my services and I didn't call you back for three days, you probably would go on to somebody else unless you were really, you know, for two reasons. You may be in a hurry or you may just not get a good impression of, of the fact that maybe I'm not easy to work with. So I see this a lot. You, you don't want to lose a listing because you didn't get back to somebody. So if you miss a call, you know, text, call them back. You know, that's what we do. Uh, and, and just say, hey, you know, are you interested? Uh, when can I take you out to see it? Video is another important thing we're doing now. I mean, I, I've always done it, but I think with COVID, some people are a little put off by going into a home. So they may want to see video. Personally, I'm wearing a big respirator mask when I go out. And if I show a home, I'm going to open the home before, let them walk through. If they want to ask me questions on the phone, that's fine. And then I'm going to close back in, wipe off the handles, close up. Everybody has their own procedure, what they're comfortable with. Um, but we kind of have to work around that these days. But I'll say the video is important because some people, even pre-COVID, they may make a decision on whether they even want to come out and look at it based on what that video looks like. So, you know, it's very important that, you know, you're not losing that listing. And also, this is not as much like buying a home for some people. You know, if someone sees a home and they really like it, they might get emotionally attached and they, they may put up with not getting called back for a while because they really like that home. With the rental, you have to think about it. This is a 12-month investment for them. They may like it, but life goes on. They have other things to do. So I just, I cannot emphasize enough the fact that don't lose the listing on something like that. And I would say if you have a provider, a realtor, someone's listing you, I send a report every week in my marketing report if we had a, a, a tenant that came in and kind of their comments and just, just an overall, if no one came in, I say no one came in, maybe we need to look at a price adjustment but the point is, is you want to know that your realtor, your property manager is, is working for you. Um, ultimately, we're going to talk a little bit about vacancy. That's a huge cost. But just know that the meter's running on that property, even though, you know, I personally don't charge until I get someone in there if it's the first listing. But you still have holding costs. You have debt service that you have to pay. 
and you're really wanting to limit that vacancy cost. So it's important to kind of really pay attention to that listing process and be happy with what you're getting and knowing your holding costs. So after the listing process, the next part is the screening process. And I call this the most dangerous game because as far as liability and issues, you have federal housing laws. This is something that can get very sticky if you're not careful. And this is why I would recommend in a lot of ways, you know, you use a realtor property manager, someone who's listing. But another reason why this is so very important is this is your this is where you're going to decide and see if you're going to get a really good tenant or one that may not be so good. And that's important because I will always say that there's nothing more valuable to a buy and hold investor really than a good tenant. Because if you get a good tenant in there, you're not going to get vacancy. We're going to talk about turnover. You're not going to have problems with very few problems that the kind of repairs you're going to have are just going to mostly be wear and tear. And these are also the folks that are going to tell you, whether they caused it or not, if there's damage in your house, because they're good tenants and they don't mind you coming by. So these people are really important. I would say nothing can save you more money than that. But we don't know who everybody is when we're doing the screening process. And I would say that, you know, whoever you use, if you're comfortable asking, I share our requirements with the owners prior to even listing. And I say, are you, in, and we know what's legal and what's not. So we'd never let an owner go and do anything that's not legal. But, you know, if they want to tweak any of our requirements before we list it, we do that. And from that point on, that's our, that's our, our listing criteria. And so every time somebody calls me and asks about the property, I tell them a little bit about it. And then I say, well, let me tell you about our screening criteria. And the reason that's important is because, number one, if you take an application and you end up denying them but you never told them the screening process was technically they're due a refund plus you don't want to run a, a an application bill that's not what you're trying to do so if you're very upfront about what the criteria to the property is it kind of if they're if they're not going to pass that criteria they may bow out at that time and say oh, i'm just not interested in seeing it and really all you did was you saved some time and that's that's fine because you know that's not helping you and it's just, it's a good business move to tell people what the criteria is. So, you know, you're going to share that criteria with them. And then before they fill out the application, you're going to share it again to make sure that they understand. What we do is we tell them we've shared the, we've shared the criteria. The application fee is non-refundable. Now, I don't charge a whole lot of fees to tenants and um, management clients, but I am a little bit high on the application. And I'll tell you why. Because if I want someone that comes in, I'm not trying to, it's not that I'm trying to make money off the application, but sometimes a higher application fee might make someone a little less likely to try to slide someone by. I mean, if I have a $20 application and I think, well, I could pay this $20, maybe he won't catch what's in my background, I'll go ahead and slide that through. If it's a little heavier and you just tell them it's non-refundable, sometimes that makes a difference. Inevitably, you will still get people that will try to do things and try to slide by. So what happens, whether it's a realtor, me, you, or a service, however, what you're probably going to get is they're going to give you, you're, you're going to fill out the application and it's going to go to a screening service. And they're going to look at things like uh, credit. They're going to tell you credit because they can pull that. They're going to pull, you know, criminal history. They're going to pull, um, you know, bankruptcies. They're going to pull, sometimes you'll find evictions on there. Most of the time you will. And that's going to give you some information. So, you know, one of the mistakes I've seen a lot of people make, and it's even more important now with COVID, 
is they'll take that report and they'll run with it. It'll be thumbs up. We got a guy. He's good, whether it's the realtor or whomever. And that can be a mistake because when you think about what you're doing there, one of the other important aspects of this is making sure that the person not just has, they'd have the willingness to pay, but that they can actually physically pay. And so some common pitfalls I'll see is, okay, well, that screening report normally doesn't call their boss for you. That's something that the listing a, the, the agent or the property manager will do. Well, I've had situations to where cousin Jeff has been the boss and that's who they've given me the number for. And I'll tell you this, it's a lot easier to do that than you think in the day of cell phones. So, you know, we go on there, we'll Google, we'll find out where they work and then we'll ask an HR director. I almost never take the, the phone number and the name. And if I do, I'll call HR and ask for that person within HR. Uh, pay stubs are important too, but I've had those faked also. So you kind of have to, it's not about being difficult, but you have to be diligent. And you also, with COVID, you're going to want recent pay stubs, right? Um, the guy might have been, or the person might have been really great three months ago, but things have changed now. And so you're going to want current records. So I, I would say, you know, you want to make sure that, uh, you know, your realtor handles that or your property manager, if you're doing it yourself, that's important too. Another critical piece that you're not going to get on most of these screening reports is talking to the prior landlord. Once again, this is a situation where they'll sometimes use cousin Jeff as their, as their property, as their landlord or their, the property owner that they're renting from. Well, the first thing you do in those situations, no matter who it is, is you look up the address, you go to the tax records, you find out who really owns it. And if it isn't cousin Jeff, then I guess cousin Jeff's the manager and I guess he has a management agreement he can show me. You kind of get the point. Um, you know, you're not trying to prohibit people from doing it, but the reason that you're looking at the landlord situation isn't just the fact that they're not going to pay is damages can get to be really expensive. And if you have someone that habitually abuses the property, they're going to cost you more than what you're getting from them, even if, if they're paying you on time. So these are all important things with screening. And, you know, there are other laws too. If you use uh, credit as a criteria and in your denial for any reason, there's certain rules that you have to give them information on how to get the credit report and things like that. So this is why I think that the screening process is something that is, is very important and that you need to be very careful with. We'll go on to the lease next. I call it the property owner's constitution. I think the lease is basically something no one bothers to read and something really doesn't matter much and nothing could be further from the truth. Um, the lease, a lot of people that own rental properties, they, they may have a property manager and they'll say, hey, I don't, I don't need to know anything about the lease. Uh, you might. I mean, your property manager, they, they might be well informed, but, you know, it, it never hurts to kind of go over what that lease is. And here in Texas, what most of us are using is um, the Texas Realtors lease, what we used to call the TAR lease. And that lease, uh, it, it's very robust. It was put together by the broker lawyer group that you know, basically they never wanted realtors practicing law. So they gave us all these really nice documents that we can use if we're realtors. Now, I don't know what happens if you use it and you're not a realtor, and it's basically a lot of fill in the blank stuff. But you've probably seen these if, you, if you're a buy and hold investor and you've done things in Texas, you can also have an attorney do one for you also. Uh, the one that we're most familiar with though is, is that what I call the TAR, TAR lease. TAR lease has a lot of addendums you can add too. So it's kind of cafeteria style. You can throw a bunch of stuff on it if you want, if you think it's pertinent. I tend to do that. I like having a long and robust lease. Problem with the lease is that even though it's fill in the blank, if it's not filled in properly, 
your, your rights are severely limited. So as a property manager, and if you're managing your own property, this is your rule book. This is what you can or cannot do. And I always say it's very hard to do something that's not specifically stated in the lease. And so therefore, you know, one of the things when I work with realtors and they have the listing and I'm not doing the listing, I'll say, well, this is, they want me to be the property manager. Let me slide my version of the lease over to you and let's use it. And that's because, you know, my lease has got, it's the, got the tar addendums and then it's had some addendums from our, our home office that's out of state. But I've had those looked at by a Texas real estate attorney who's gone through there and said, yeah, you can have this. No, you can't. That sort of thing. So I think also a, a thick lit list, I'm sorry, a thick lease is something that when someone sees that, they're like, oh, that's a lot. And they'll click through it and you always want them to read it. But the point is, is they know you're serious when you give them a lease that looks like a lease and not something that's two or three pages or something that's not filled out correctly. Um, some of the areas in the lease that are important as we move on to the next slide, it's defining the rights and obligations of both the tenant and the owner. And so, you know, you ever have someone who asks you for something that's unreasonable, well, what's the lease say? Um, you know, that's important to do that. But then there's also things that, that we talked about the part that you're gonna fill in or your realtor's gonna fill in, there's gonna be things like, okay, what's the late fee? Um, what day is the rent considered late? When is it due? How much is the daily late fee? How much is the fixed late fee? Now, there's some legal ramifications to that too. You can't go over certain amounts. There's laws about that, but those are things that you're going to put in there. Another important thing that you're going to put in there is um, when do you have to notify on the lease whether you're going to renew or not? And, you know, there's a, if I remember correctly, I think there's a box that says 30 or you can put in a date and check that box. I usually do 45 myself. And the reason why this is important is I want to know if someone's going to renew that TAR lease at least 45 days in advance. Because what happens is that you still have the notice requirements, but if you don't give the notice, it rolls into what's called a month-to-month situation. And this is one of my major pet peeves. If you have a lease, a property manager right now that's managing your property and the lease is not current, I would tell them to get it current. There's, and I'm going to explain why. Now, some people will say, well, you know, and it's a little different. COVID, I know you don't really want to ruffle feathers because you don't know what's going on. So that may be the only time, you know, I've seen some people recently kind of, you know, kind of pull back on that a little bit, but I still think it's a good practice not to have the month to month lease because what happens is that means it's basically the same rights and obligations that you had before, but you still have to give 30 days notice to either party or 45 or whatever you put in there before they can leave and quit the lease. Well, you think about, you have a lease with somebody that has six months left on it, there's gonna be some damages to you if they quit the lease as the landlord. And you can also plan, you know, most people are gonna stick out their lease. Some people don't, but you have some comfort there. But once you go on month to month, you kind of get the mindset that they're probably already halfway out the door. Maybe they're looking for another house somewhere, maybe they're looking to buy, and you're gonna get a surprise when they say, we're not renewing. and that becomes a surprise because they're not asked, they're not told, you know, you need to let me know. And if not, I'm going to exercise my right and move on to somebody else. And seasonality plays a part in that too. I mean, if I'm going to go month to month with somebody, I, a lot of them like to do it this time of year because the kids are out of school and they haven't found anything yet. Well, this is also the time of year where we want to get people into properties. This is the, the, the fast time of year. Um, I don't want them going month to month and then leaving in November. And then I'm in that market and I have to find somebody. So, Definitely the notice portion is something you should really pay attention to. Another thing that's important, occupants. Now, I've taken over lists, leases from other managers. 
I tell you a story. I had a guy, I don't know how he got put in there. He's my age and they listed him as a five-year-old. I didn't see the screening. I don't know what that was about, but this is a problem that I get questions on quite a bit is okay. What happens when people just start crashing in the place, living there and, and, you know, you can have guests that's in the lease, but they're not on the listed as people that are supposed to be there. And I think that's very important that you make sure that they are putting everybody on the lease. And because if not, then, you know, you just, it's just another thing that they didn't fill out and it's harder for you to enforce. And finally, the thing I would also look at is pets. You're gonna have to decide what you wanna do with pets or your, your guide, your, your manager can give you guidance. But, you know, these are all the kind of things that are stipulated in the lease that if you leave blank, you don't wanna go before, you know, the justice of the peace judge and have them guess what that blank was supposed to be. So very important that, you know, you, you have a good lease. Um, just a final point, not reading or understanding a lease will not provide cover to those who find themselves in difficult situations. And that goes for landlords um, and tenants. So I always tell the tenant to read the lease, whether they do or not. I know the lease what I manage. So when they try to say something that's not in the lease, I say, per your lease, this is what I see. And, and that's just, you know, it makes the communication a little bit better. So finally, I guess um, next we'll move on to, um, and I'll try to pick things up a little bit because I want to leave time for some questions. Uh, when the honeymoon ends, common and costly property management mistakes. And when I say property management mistakes, I'm talking whether it's self-management or the manager himself. Um, these are things that I see most often. When someone comes to me because they're unhappy with somebody else or they're unhappy they didn't like doing it themselves, these are the things that I see the most. Um, one of the most is like we talked about already, it's kind of a repeat point from before. Forgetting about the specifics of the lease, including when it expires and failure to document incidents. So we talked about the, the, the month to month situation, but let's talk about incidents for a second. If you have somebody that is going to pay you late all the time and you accept that, that's gonna look like that's your lease. I mean, you know, you're gonna have to take it to court. And they're gonna say, you know, not like I said, I can't give legal advice, I'm not an attorney, but it does not strengthen your position to not enforce your lease. I mean, number one, it's your right to enforce your lease and nobody likes getting paid late. And this is one of the most common ones I see. I mean, if you, you go to these investor events and some of you are probably involved in maybe, maybe you're hard money lenders, maybe you're private money lenders, cycling money and money is important. Not getting your money means you're not paying, it's harder for you to pay, you could have penalties. That's not what the lease says, that's not what we're supposed to be doing here. So I won't say I never forgive on a late payment if someone's a couple days late, but I'll tell you if I do, it's a one-time thing and they're getting a letter from me that goes in their file, that's date stamped and everything else. So there's an audit trail. So it's not like, okay, yeah, I let you do it this one time, but it really, it may have been monetarily free, but it wasn't free, it goes down, it's documented. I like to say you want to get a property manager that, you know, doesn't lose their head, but keeps their nerves. So, you know, that the flip side of that are people that some people get really angry and they, they, they overreact and you don't want to do that. But at the same point either is you don't want to be the one who's constantly getting paid late. I've had people tell me that they've left rental homes because they, they sold them because their tenant always paid, but always paid late. And, you know, there's that you don't really have to put up with that. There's, there's, you know, that's what the lease is for. Another thing that I see, we talked about the importance of good tenants, and this goes with anything. I think one of the most important things about property management is giving a prompt and adequate response to tenant concerns. And when I say prompt, that means if somebody calls for something, 
you're not letting them sit there for days on end before somebody gets back to them. Because I want you to think about that for a minute. Number one, there might be a liability issue there. It might be something in the property code that needs to be done right away. The second thing is, is the damage could be getting worse. I mean, these things, they're giving you notice. It might be a small leak that turns into a big leak. It might be water damage that becomes really bad water damage. And then I want you to think of it on the side of both a tenant that is good and a tenant you may not think is good. A good tenant that you want to re-sign just realize that they're not getting good customer service and they've kept up their part, they've paid on time. And then when that person comes around the manager or if you're self-managing and you say, hey, let's sign another lease because I really want to keep you, that might stick in their mind. So once again, it's a sales job in that regard. Also, you're going to get people that like to do things under the radar. And they may not be good tenants, but they find out when they need something, you don't call them back. They'll say, oh, okay, I don't really care about that. And then they're going to think the guy's never going to come around. He's never going to look at anything. I can do whatever I want. I'm going to start, you know, doing things I'm not supposed to be doing. So, you know, if your realtor or your, I mean, your property manager's tied up in a bunch of different things besides property management, this is something that I see quite a bit. And that's, and we'll, we'll talk about that in just a second when we talk about uh, things to look at for property management. But I, I want to just, I want to put an emphasis on prompt. And prompt does not mean give them, always give them everything they want. It means I make a phone call and find out what's going on. Um, somebody wants something, you know, a new backyard fence because two boards blew out. I'll give you a call, but I'm not going to give you a backyard fence because two boards came out. Next time we come out doing something else or soon, soon we'll come by, we'll take care of it real quick. Maybe that's fine. Because the point here is also not to run up a bunch of unnecessary costs for the owner. This is where there's, you've got to be a little bit subjective, but I, I don't think there's ever a reason not to respond to the call. Um, another thing, this is the one I will tell you in the last two months, I've seen this twice. Both uh, were investors from the Northeast. One was from New Jersey. One was from New York. One we signed as a client. Um, they were managing these things from far away. They were getting paid regularly. No complaints. And the rent was never late. Um, both of them had a situation to where the tenant just up and left. And one of them knew because the power got cut off even before the rent check was due. Um, this, this was a smaller home. And then another person had a 3,500 square foot, very nice home with pool. And the same thing happened there. Well, in both cases, when we went into those homes, they were trashed. And I mean, just totally, I have no idea why, but we're talking massive amount of damage. And the sad part of that is the owner was getting paid that whole time. They were probably in both these cases. Well, one of them, they weren't, they were self-managing. The other one, they were paying another property manager. They were doing this. They were spending this money. They were paying taxes. They think they're, they're, they're ahead. Things are looking good. And then bam, they're in a situation to where they're going to probably spend more than they got in that last 12 months. Not to mention the fact that now their property's vacant until it all gets fixed. And I think at least one of those cases, like I said, we signed one client, the other one, I think, uh, I think at this point the cupboard's bare and, and she's reached the end of the road and we'll probably be selling it, which is sad. But I tell you, this could all be avoided if one thing would have happened. Had the property manager gone out there and looked at that property during the term of the lease. And I do that every three months. I had to put a few off because of COVID. We, we caught up on those with proper precautions and that sort of thing. But, you know, if you're not doing that and you, you know, when you get to pricing, there'll be a lot of property managers that will pay, that will be a lot less in price, but they won't be doing this. And I think that's what happened to the person in my second example. And 
then all of a sudden they're surprised. And another thing too, is when you start getting these tenant calls on repairs and you never go out to the property, how do you know they're, they're legitimate or not? I see that they kind of go hand in hand. Next thing you know, you're paying out a lot of stuff. Like this lady was in my second example. She paid for a lot of stuff too. And the place was trash. So I cannot, if you're going to do your own property management, there is something in the lease that allows you to come give them notice, follow the rules. We do it. And then when your property manager do, does it, ask for photos, ask for a written report. And sometimes if you go with the lower price provider, they're going to charge you a lot of extra money for that. If that's the way you win, I still think it's worth paying for. But it's one of these deals where you're going to get, you're going to pay one way or the other. That's just the way this, this business works. But I can't, having somebody there is critical. Um, the other thing, uh, the, the final common pitfall is what I call um, using uninsured, unqualified, unlicensed, and unreliable maintenance provide providers. And I call these referral buddies and in-house maintenance. And you may have some experience with these folks. Uh, referral buddy is something that I commonly see with some realtors that are doing property management. So when you're doing property management maintenance, it's going gonna, it's gonna to happen really probably one of three ways. Um, the way we do it is we do a markup. So we will take, um, you know, we're, we're going we're gonna to have limits on what we can spend. We're going to coordinate. We're going to tell you what the issue is. And if it's a big job, we're going to shop it. If it's a smaller job, we won't, but we'll use one of our providers that, that does a good job for us. No matter who we use, they're going to have insurance. And 100% of the time, you're going to get both invoices. You're going to get the original invoice and the marked up one. Um, and the markup covers our time for vetting on the insurance, uh, for following up on the job. And then you have to remember, in this case, we are the customer with that provider. So we don't pay any kind of referral fees. They don't pay me any kind of referral fees. As part of the wider investor community and the fact that we use some of these people for a lot of stuff, we have a little bit of leverage on cost, but we really have a leverage, we have leverage on performance. So if something's not done right, they're doing it again. If they're not doing it well, they're out of the group. We're not doing it anymore. It's, it's very, it, it's not subjective at all. It's just, it's a cut or dry deal. Now, there is the markup and there's a lot of people out there that are marking it up. They're using someone else marking up and probably not telling you anyway. So if you're going with somebody else, always ask to see two invoices. It's your right to do so. It's your right to see photos of what's been done. That's in our vendor agreement. I want to prove that something's been done. I want to have it in my file. So that's one way of doing maintenance. Now, another way is I have some people they do their own and I'm fine with that. They just don't want to manage the property. We still go out there. We still make sure the tenant lets them in. They don't know it's the owner or the owner's guy, to them, it's the same as anything else. And that's fine with me. And in warranties, I have no problems running warranties. A lot of property management companies don't like to do that. But there's no liability for me for running your warranty as there would be for, you know, some separate deal that you're doing on maintenance. So, you know, we'll, we'll do that. We'll, we'll use your warranty if you give us that too. That can be a way to go. But I'll caution you sometimes with warranties. If they don't work really well, you might make your tenant mad if things don't get fixed. But from my standpoint, it doesn't really matter either way. The second thing is referral buddies. Referral buddies is a thing to where you may have, I see this more with like realtors that are kind of moonlighting in property management. And they say, well, there's no markup on our maintenance. We'll just, you know, we'll get somebody out there and it won't be a problem at all. Well, I guarantee you on almost every case, because I'm in these networking groups and I know, basically they're getting a referral from that provider, which when you think about it, I mean, yeah, there's nothing wrong with getting a referral as long as you disclose it. Uh, most likely they're probably not disclosing it. And if, if not, it's something you can at least ask, but then how objective are they with the job? If they're not, um, if they're paying somebody and getting a referral and I can get a referral from referring you, or I cannot get a referral from, from going with someone else, 
am I going to be, am I going to really look at your work objectively, or am I going to try to keep that referral mill going? Um, so that, that's important too. And then the final thing is in-house maintenance. Uh, some of the bigger providers, and I know a lot of people that do multifamily, huge providers, they may need to do in-house maintenance just because they have so many doors. I'd be cautious with anybody that has in-house maintenance and they're not that big of a company or they're not doing multifamily. And the reason I say this is because they don't do in-house maintenance just to be charitable to you, the investor. They don't say, hey, I just want to do in-house maintenance just to help you out. The problem you're going to get with in-house maintenance is if you, you know, are they qualified to do what they're supposed to be doing? Are they plumbers? Um, and then what happens, you're going to get one invoice. It's going to come from the same company that's managing your property. So how do you really dispute or talk about that? And if something goes wrong, what are they going to do? They're going to go back and take off their property management hat and put on their, their, their maintenance guy hat and argue with themselves. I just see that go bad many, many different ways. And so before you pick somebody, really make sure you understand maintenance will be a cost. You will pay more than your normal, just your management fee. That's just a fact, but it's important to get things done right, done properly and where you don't have to do them over and over again. So I'm going to wrap up here with uh, a brief um, discussion. And I think we covered a lot of these already on benefits of uh, good property management. And, um, you know, it's huge. It can be very, it can be a big deal, but ultimately you have to decide if you can afford a property manager. And I wish everybody could, maybe you're not quite there yet. Um, maybe, you know, you have to value your time. And if this is something that you can do, I have friends that manage their own properties. Usually they're retired and they have the time and they enjoy it. And there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but I think if you're going to pay for a property manager, you need to be getting the value. So I always say you get what you pay for, but make sure you get what you pay for. That being said is if you go low on price, you're probably not going to get what you need. Um, if you go high on price or higher, make sure that you're getting what you're supposed to be getting. And these are some of the things that we talked about on that sheet about what does a property manager do. Um, just because a company's big, I'm not a big company. I don't think all bad, big companies are bad. They're not. It's just sometimes they're a little more inconsistent. Sometimes they can give you a lower rate. You may not be getting the same level of attention. It depends on who you're getting as far as you're in, in that group and is that employee is going to stay on or not. So I always, if I have to decide between, you know, as a competitor of mine, tell someone if they want to go big or go with a realtor, I would say go with big. Uh, personally, I would go with someone my size or find someone, and I'm not the only one that only does property management because that's very important. I would tell you realtors are great for listing properties. Realtors have found some of my very best tenants. They understand the listing and the screening process. When you have a realtor that wants to do property management, then you kind of have to pump the brakes. And one of the first questions you need to ask them is, does your broker know you're doing property management? Because the agent is, is licensed by a broker. Broker has a certain amount of E&O insurance and that sort of thing. And my other issue with agents that are doing it on the side is it's exactly that. It's a side job. And if you look at realtors in town where the broker is doing it, it's always one little page with no details. And that lets you know kind of where you are on the priority list. And I know people say, well, my friends are realtors. She'll do it for me. Well, your friend's also going to be closing on properties. She may get a $10,000 commission for running down the road to this house, or she can get $2,000 for showing your rental. Remember what we said about not missing the phone call. And I'm just telling you this based on experiences. The, the worst issues I've had with property management were ones that rolled off from, from realtors. Uh, with the bigger ones, sometimes it's been mostly issues with maintenance. Uh, with the realtors, it's been no financial statements, just really not much of anything except collecting the check. 
Um, so kind of to, to recap, the, the important things are what we're trying to limit is time vacancy. That is huge. So we're going to screen right. And this is one of the few businesses where if you look at cash flow, as soon as someone does not resign with you, and they may be the worst tenant, it may be a situation where you're glad they're gone. But let's say it's someone you wanted to keep. As soon as they don't sign with you, it's one over 12, right? You've already lost one month right there because you're going to have to pay someone to list again. It's probably going to be vacant for a month. Now you're two out of 12. Your cash flow is, is one sixth gone for the year. And most likely it's going to end up being three. So that is why I, my number one tip for buy and hold is you're going to be happy if you're not cycling through tenants. You're going to be much better off financially. I had a friend of mine that uh, he's been doing this since 1982. He said he started off with a, with a property manager on the East Coast back then, and he thought he was a great guy because he was getting paid all the time, except he was cycling through tenants constantly, and he realized how much money he was losing. We got to remember, guys like us or the realtor, they get paid for the listing. And, you know, what's it going to be? It's going to be, you know, maybe one month's rent, 75% of one month's rent. That's almost the same as you're going to make on the entire year as a property manager. So I'm not saying everybody's tried to do this or it's a bad thing, but it's just one of those things to where, you know, it, it's important to find someone that really wants to take care of your tenant, keep an eye on your property and make sure that you're not, not doing bad. Because if you don't do well, the property manager, you know, that, it's part of the relationship. If you're not doing well, then, you know, how are you going to pay a property manager? How are you going to stay in the business? And, uh, you know, how are you going to grow? Because if you grow, then maybe that property manager, they grow with you, maybe not, depending on if you like them or not, but you need a partner. If you're going to get into property management, someone who's going to work with you and help you. And that's what I say is I, I sometimes think bad property management is worse than no property management at all, because, it can get to be a really a big mess. So if you can't yet afford it and you're waiting to refinance, maybe you wait a little while longer, but I just encourage you to do your research or you might have buyer's remorse. Another tip I'll give you is don't ever ask the property manager right off the bat how much they charge because it, it puts an antenna up on our end and we think, okay, this person only cares about cost and I want to land that person. So I'll start, you know, taking benefits out and just throw out my cheap package and that sort of thing. Cost is important. Ask about cost. But the first question you should ask is, what do you provide? And then you get to the cost. And if the two don't seem like they're properly aligned, then maybe you move on to somebody else. Um, but, uh, you know, those are the tips I would use. But like I said, ultimately, it's a business about keeping in touch, knowing what's going on. And I think if you do that, it makes things a lot easier. Um, I went a little bit over, but uh, Rodney, if there's any questions or anything um, I can answer or that's really yeah, we have one question. How many properties, single family or multifamily, would be needed to qualify for a dedicated property manager from an entity such as yours? I don't think it's as much of a number as it is a cost. So when you look at your time and look at the value that you have, remember you're, you're paying for someone that's going to mitigate risk. But I would also say when you look at your cash flow, it's going to be a percentage. And if you can afford that property manager within that percentage, even if it's on one home, I think if they do the job right and we do what we talked about with the, the uh, turnovers, keeping the turnover down, doing those things, then I would encourage you to get one. If it's going to put you in a negative cash flow situation, maybe you hold off, um, you know, till you get more properties, you have a little more cash flow coming in on the other one. Um, but ultimately there's no set number. Um, Multifamily is a little bit different. Um, I do primarily single family. I've always heard that, you know, it, it's hard to find property managers that want to do the multifamily 10 door kind of thing. It's just, it's hard from a 
point of, I'm not saying they're not out there. I'm not saying we wouldn't do it. You just start to take on more risks. And then when you get to larger apartments, you want to live someone that's going to live on site. And so you get those under 50 that it's just kind of hard to find property management for. But I would say any kind of apartment, I would find somebody to be doing the property management just because of all the doors that are right there that you're going to have to deal with. Okay. That's the only question so far. Wonderful. Well, I appreciate it. And uh, I have my contact information right there. You can call me anytime uh, if you want to learn a little more about what we do. Um, I think we're starting a buy and hold community um, in the Houston uh, real estate IQ group. So if you have questions, uh, you can join that group and go on there and, and let us know, uh, you know, if anything we can help you with, obviously. And then when we get back to doing events, hope to see you out at uh, some of the events that uh, we have again. That may be a long time, but until then, I, I thank you for being here this evening. And I would say continue to, to take advantage of real estate IQ's online learning events. And this will load here in just a second. There we go. So we'll go forward and I'll just give you a quick overview of Real Estate IQ. You have the deal analysis suite, which is a fast CMA that allows you to create your own comps off the MLS. And then it has a repair estimator that helps you identify the cost of the repair so that you can make an, a good offer on the property. And it has a deal analyzer. And then we have our deal finding suite. Oh, and the uh, deal, this says starts at $15. That's for the deal analysis suite. Uh, the deal finding suite has off-market leads, county data finder, and MLS deal finder. The off-market leads come daily into your inbox. They're recorded from court documents. And that's a value of up to 2,000 because of how many leads we provide you. Here is a list of the leads that we provide you. Pre-foreclosures, appointment substitute trustee, probate and heirship, evictions, divorce, loan modifications, hospital liens, HOA mechanics, code violations, delinquent tax and tax sales. All of these come in your inbox every day. And the premium package uh, provides skip tracing on the ones that are starred so that you have the email address, the phone numbers, the cell numbers, sometimes a relative's information and their contact information so that you can talk to the folks and get the properties under contract fast. Uh, County Data Finder is when you want to get your own list. If you have a marketing campaign that you want to do and you want to focus on a particular zip code, a particular subdivision or city, then you can go through, set your criteria, create the list, and then it puts it into a spreadsheet. You can download it and send it to your mailing folks. An MLS deal finder is a time saver. You can set up a, your criteria. Our product goes through as soon as something hits the MLS, it runs an automatic comp. It compares the comp to the listing price and tells you a percentage discount. And we then sort them by the biggest discounts in the search criteria that you're looking for. It will send an automated email to your inbox saying, hey, here is a big discounted deal. Go get on it and see if it's a good deal for you. And then fast CMA, I talked about that a little bit. You can do on the spot CMAs in the field on your phone. Um, it does give you uh, 
rental in that rental average as well as a regular comp for the area and it all comes from the mls and again if anybody is interested in a 45 minute one-on-one -on -one deal finding training uh just type in the chat box i'm i want one-on-one -on -one training and we'll be happy to set you up with one of our account managers so you can get an overview of the products that can help you move forward in your business we also have uh, on-demand on and real-time training, just like you're at here. We have it all the time. Um, we have a support team and we try to respond to any questions or comments within two hours. And these are our customer service phone numbers and email addresses so that you can get your questions answered. And there's all kinds of freebies out there. These are hot spots for the hot areas for rental income, hot areas for pre-foreclosure, and hot areas for discounted deals. So you can sign up for any of those through this little pop-up uh, poll. And if you're interested in any of these heat maps or anything like that, they get sent to you. The heat maps are once a month, deal a day is every day. And then, um, if you have any need for private money lender, hard money lenders, insurance contractors, property management, if you are in need of services like what you heard today, you can check that box and we'll have somebody reach out to you and probably be Troy if you're in the Houston area. And uh, title and law. And then also the fourth thing, when are you planning to purchase your next property? That's just an informational thing. And remember those who participate in these polls uh, do get entered into our drawing for a month of our service for free. And Rodney, I just wanted to add, I think that uh, the eviction thing is a great thing. I know you guys have had that for about six months now, but um, th those can sometimes be really good properties that someone else just couldn't manage the right way. And it might be a really good, uh, opportunity for people that want to do a buy and hold and, and turn it around. Yeah. And then also we have our community portal at realestateiq.co. If you're interested in joining groups and learning about uh, different things, you know, maybe you're women in real estate and you want to make connections with other women in real estate or apartments or you're in Florida, all kinds of stuff. Houston Deal Finders Lounge. You can go there this is a separate sign up that's free to be a part of our community and so you can go there to find out more information it also has our events right there under events and it has our tools to sign up as well i want to thank you for being a part of this today this is the contact information for tony if you want to reach out to him he'll be happy to talk with you and and help you out with your property management needs Thank you so much for attending. Thank you, Rodney. Thank you for having me. For webinar schedules, follow us at our official social media accounts or visit us at www.realestateiq.co.